This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another edition of The Podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from all the major sporting leagues, old comic books, new comic books, signed wrestling memorabilia, anything you want, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Metal Gear Solid, World of Warcraft, Kingdom Hearts 2, and so many others. Everything you see on their website's available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down onto today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want, it is there. But the easiest thing, the best thing, the freest thing to do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week, I'm joined by the man who has worked on well over 100 video games spanning pretty much every console since the Nintendo Game Boy. The president of Digital Eclipse and returning guest, Mike Micah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, this is, this is going to be really fun. I mean, I, I got to take a break from my enjoying my first row collectibles and reading my boss fight books. But uh, outside of that, this is that's awesome. It's been uh, exciting to jump on to. And we are not alone, my friend. And this is probably why you're more excited than usual. We are also joined by another returning <laughs> guest whom has worked and been featured in such video games as Mortal Kombat 2 and 4, WWF WrestleMania the Arcade Game, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and a ton of Tony Hawk games to name just a few. The director and producer of Insert Coin, Josh Sway. Hey guys, how you doing? Nice to, nice to see you all, or hear you all, I should say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're going to stop meeting this way, Josh. 
<laughs> I know, I know. It's time to get a complex. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, this should be fun because obviously you two gentlemen know each other. And it's funny. You, uh, I was saying it to Mike before you came on, Josh. You two gentlemen are two of the OGs from making video games. Like, you know what I mean? These guys have been there from like the early cycles, from the early generations, and you're still sort of kicking it today and either talking about it or in Mike's case, running a goddamn studio. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the nicest way to say um, we're old. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That OG is OOG. But it's, uh, it's funny because like, you know, I've known, obviously I've known Mike for a while now, but I really didn't know until relatively recently, like, you know, how far back Digital Eclipse did work oh. on some and were, like, tangentially related just because of the, the games that they were porting back in the day and such. Right. Like, I kind of knew it, but I didn't know it at the same time, so it's uh, it's always funny to, uh, to think about that. We've probably, for, for decades, uh, you know, go decades back, we're probably just room-adjacent <laughs> yeah. in many situations. Yeah. We're literally in the same building, but didn't know each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, so that, that's what cracks me up, and that that ha- it's, it's weird because it's um, you know obviously you know my my first time like meeting Mike in person was when I was producing uh, Insert Coin. Oh shit! And okay. um, the funny thing is, is that it's like it's such a small world because when I for the film when I went to go uh, interview Ernest Klein, I didn't even know Mike and Ernest like knew each other <laughs> at the time. It just it was just a, it was just a coincidence. Wow! And. It was when I, when uh, after the interview, you know, Ernest Ernie had his uh, his DeLorean, there, his time traveling DeLorean, and when I was in the car, I saw Mike's uh, signature in the car, and I looked at him like, wait, no, I'm like, wait, like, is that is that Mike? Mike? I was like, yeah, so I'm really good friends with him. I was like, holy shit, like he's in the film too, and I didn't even know you guys were friends. You know? That's hilarious. Oh, uh, that's great because you know what? That, I remember the day I signed his. DeLorean because it's the same day that um, uh, what's called uh, Lord British uh, I'm forgetting but Richard Garriott signed as well because like we're all hanging out and so oh. like, he's like here you guys sign this and then it's like Billy Mitchell came by and was like oh I guess I should sign it too and we're like okay, okay. I guess <laughs> I guess you can sign it. <laughs> you're, you're like no it's okay man That's, yeah we're good <laughs> it was special until now <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah but no but just it cracked me up because I did a double take. I was like, "Like, wait a second, well, how do you guys know each other?" And he explained it. And I was like, "Oh my god, it's like it's too weird." Like, you know, the small games industry problem. is so small. Yeah, the games industry is small, but then like this kind of crossed over into like a whole other realm. Well, Josh, you like I know we have a lot of similar interests, especially when it comes down to film and games and the crossover <laughs> and all that stuff. It's just like it's we always joke, but it's like I always say like Josh is like my brother from another mother because like we have a lot of like we grew up in the same kind of era like the same things it's almost like a shorthand we could have when we talk yeah, it, yeah it's ridiculous it's ridiculous like and we just said ridiculous like, at the same time pretty much right? <laughs> i know i know i know i know all right, forget, all right. All right, move on, move on. oh my god well i'm glad the podcast could bring old friends together once again <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how about this speaking of delorean and stuff we enjoy i'm a, obviously a huge back to the future fan which one from part one to three is your favorite Josh, I'll let you go first. Oh, like the second one is my favorite. Uh, I mean, I love you. Okay. I mean, it's a very close, you know, like the first one is a very close second. But okay. what blew my mind on the first one was just the fact that you got to see the first movie from different angles. And I, I just oh. thought that was just brilliant. Right. You know? So it's, it was just such a great, you know, just such a great way to call back to the first movie without rehashing it. And 
it really felt like you know you were seeing something behind the scenes you know and i felt the same way with like you know with uh, Avengers Endgame, it's like you're seeing the same scenes from a different angle, from a different perspective. Right. So, uh, so I thought that I thought that was a lot, of, you know, a lot of fun, and uh, just being able and, and the, the sheer, you know, the sheer balls to just end the movie on a cliffhanger, like The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, that hadn't been done in quite some time, you know, up until then. So you know, they were just so confident in their filmmaking that they knew that you know that people were going to come back for a third anyway. So I thought that was great. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, I still think the first one to me is probably my favorite, but okay. the second one, when I realized, like, when you see the second one, you're like, there is no way they didn't already plan on making a second movie. But then you find out mm-hmm. that they didn't, and they did all this work that to make it so seamless and so perfect uh, kind of elevates it uh, to the point that, yeah, it does challenge that first movie quite a bit. And I, I, I've been to locations, almost like a pilgrimage, to see these locations that oh. were where they shot the film. Oh, uh, and it's just, it's it's amazing to me because it just feels like hallowed ground when you walk in these places. Yeah. You got to take the photo the right way. Even like the, uh, we're talking about Ernie earlier, he got a picture by the fountain from the photo. And that's oh. actually, that's at like Amblin and stuff like that. So it's like these places are nice. all over. And uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's I, that a movie that's that big and has that much of an impression makes it, these locations that much more important. Yeah. No, so yeah, that's, it's funny. It's, uh, so here's, uh, I don't know if I ever told, you this mike but it's the first time i saw back to the future uh you know when it first came out was at the pointy hills mall in california where the where that was the mall parking lot oh shit. And so we're we're watching it opening <laughs> night you know watching the movie and i'm looking it's like like holy shit that's literally the parking lot that's behind us <laughs> that's awesome know? and it blew my like it, it gave me like this whole lot you know it just made the experience even more magical and so at the end of the movie, we walk out and it's like we're in the parking lot, you know, of this movie, you know, this, you know, iconic. And even at that time, we thought this movie is like going to be a classic. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was super fun. That was the um, the mall nearby where my brothers used to manage a uh, a giant arcade called Showboat Golf and Games. I was part of Malibu Grand Prix back in the day, oh, wow. and so that was right next. That was right next to that mall. So talk about tying in. My love of arcade games and stuff. It was just all wrapped up in this <laughs> in this parking lot. Okay. When did you move to Chicago then? So I uh, my family moved to Chicago in uh, in the long story. I'm to keep it short. My, my, my family moved to, most of my family moved to uh, moved to the Midwest in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan area okay. in the early '80s, like like '82. And then I finished high school in California, so I didn't move to Michigan until eighty, like eighty four, like eighty four and a half, I should say. And then what I ended up doing was I lived in Michigan for like a couple of years, uh, and then I came to Chicago to go, you know, to go to uh, to go to college. So I came to Chicago in uh, eighty eighty seven. Now I think about it. Oh, that's crazy! Yeah, I was. I grew up in Michigan. And uh, mm-hmm. I graduated high school in 91, went to Wayne State University in Detroit. But, like, mm. that explains so much of the, the similar vibe and, and, and right. approach to things that, that we've had in our conversation. <laughs> because there's just, like, yep. when you come from that area and, you, like, and the things you're exposed to and the things that you kind of, like, look up to, it's, it's a lot of similar things there. That, that's awesome. Okay, now, now I've yeah, painted yeah. the whole picture in my mind. <laughs> now I know your, your migration pattern. <laughs> <laughs> How about your thoughts on part three from Back to the Future? That's the controversial one, I feel, right? I, I feel like I need to revisit it. I think yeah. when it came out, you know, I just I wasn't into westerns, but I think That's now me. that I'm older, I think I could appreciate it more. Like I okay. didn't hate it, 
but but like after the high of two, you know, because remember, like I think three came out like less than a year after two, right? Like right. it was like really shortly after. Yeah, so I think I was like so like so hyped up from two that three being a western was a letdown. Uh, now, and then, you know, obviously I was younger at the time, but now like after all these years and appreciating. Uh, especially appreciating westerns a little bit more now that I'm older and such, okay. you know. Um, I th- yeah, I think I should uh, give them a second watch. But yeah, I, I enjoyed them, didn't hate them, but never kind of like that. I, I don't think I ever saw them more than twice. I just think it's so, hard to go to a western after being in the future. That's so you're the like, thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I grew up with like my the future to me was everything that I consumed Star Wars, which I know was a long time ago, but like. Everything that was futuristic and exactly. everything like that was just like, that's the trajectory. That's the entertainment I wanted. Mm-hmm. So to go backwards to the Western, to do the Western first, then go to the future. Ah, yeah, good point. the way to go. Yeah, maybe if they uh, reversed it, maybe point, if part actually. three came out for part two and two was three, maybe it would have been <laughs> better received. <laughs> better just don't do a Western. I, I, I'm in the same boat. I was just like, I was Westerned out as a kid. They were always on television. Oh. It's like yep. I've seen every Western just because of that. And so it was just like yeah. I was done with Westerns. Yeah. I, I think I think it's like, like I said, I think I would appreciate it more because you know, there's been so many, yeah. like, um, like good Western, like, you know, Unforgiven and, and you know. Yeah, we're in a like, post-Unforgiven like, world, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Why you know, is it Earth and all these things? You know, even Silverado. I like actually enjoy yes. Silverado, oh, wow. but, you know. So there's something That's fun crazy. about it. So it's like, yeah, so I feel like it's like, you know, uh, my mindset would be better. Dad, God, now I want to go see Silverado. I, I was listening to a podcast recently. They were talking about uh, Lawrence Kasdan, and uh, they're talking about Big Chill specifically, but they were talking about Silverado mm-hmm. soon after that. And I remember saying, God, I loved both of those movies so much. I think mm-hmm. I think Lawrence Kasdan needs to be talked about more. Like, what what, a, what an amazing person. Yeah, like, I don't think people understand how much of an impact he had on Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it goes under it's understated how important he's been to movies but silverado is a great example like the that kind of like um i'd say it's like before the avengers and also like the, the kind of uh camaraderie and the, the cast and, and the way those characters the interplay of all those characters that's mm-hmm. very cast in and just like kind of set the direction yeah. for so many movies afterward i mean even tombstone and, yep. and these movies that kind of like owe a debt to it yeah no most definitely now because it's the whole rage in hollywood would you want to see a continuation or a legacy continuation for Back to the Future? No, leave it alone. <laughs> no, Keep it no, perfect. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, I totally, it will totally agree. Look at I mean, look it what's happening to Indiana Jones. Oh, like, you didn't like the uh, most recent one? Stopped. They should have just stopped. Uh, and I, it hurts me to you, say. Oh. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I. I oh no. Yeah, sorry, Stu, but uh, it, yeah, Indiana Jones, like. It, <laughs> you cannot do Indiana Jones without Steven Spielberg, and mm. even like with Crystal Skull, with all with all of its faults, sure. you have to have Steven Spielberg's flourish, like the way he moves the camera and does long takes and things like that. That's just a part of the, the, of that film series. And so when you have somebody else doing it, it's you just can't do that. I, I you know I, I appreciate what they tried to do and everything, yeah. but it just felt like it, it, for one thing, it didn't feel like a real conclusion to me. And I was really no. thinking that it would, like, you know, it, I felt like there were two endings that they kind yep. of chickened out on, you know. Mm. So that didn't help. But, I, yeah, it's I kept looking for just, hey, where, you know, where are these sweeping Spielberg shots or these visual that it's really, like, innovative visuals that he does and stuff. Because, that, because if you think about any of those Indiana Jones films, if you take out Spielberg's uh, style, 
Mm. You know, they're not like, you know, they're just very simple films. You know, yeah, so, sure. so I don't know. It's yeah, I, I, I was out of all the movies this year, I think, you know, and I, I haven't seen that many movies, but all the ones I've seen, that was really the most disappointing. Really? So as an Indiana Jones fan myself, I haven't watched it yet. Should I even watch this thing? No, no, I shouldn't have said anything. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? We already went too far. You should see it for yourself. Okay, yeah, okay. God, it's, it, yeah. it's a different thing. Like, okay. I think Josh is saying it pretty well here. It's different. It's not a Spielberg Indiana Jones movie. And it, right. it, it's basically something that pays homage to that. And it has certain notes from it. But everything about it, from the music to the cinematography, really? the writing, everything just feels like a different kind of movie. And it feels yeah. like a different like different people at the helm and that's fine. But like for me, the magic is always going to be the Spielberg versions of these movies, the simple story, the hint of the um, fantastic, not like not overindulging in it, Uh, which crystal skull does. It overindulges a bit and this movie overindulges. And the beauty of the first three is like, you could almost step back and say, was that real or not? And that kind of thing, you can challenge it. And and these, the the last two movies uh, kind of, dispense with that and just be like yeah we're gonna go really far into this um but yeah definitely see it i, I think okay. i mean it's a fun movie uh I, I can't believe i'm spacing on the director's name but the guy who did logan did a great job um no, for what it is yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's it yep oh there we so, go yeah, it's a, okay. definitely check yeah, I, I'm not gonna talk to you. I didn't realize I didn't see it, but it was just no. Like, that's I, fine. You know. Come on, man. Like <laughs> nowadays, how could stuff not get spoiled? Like you know what I mean? Like I just couldn't believe how gory it was in his death, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, it's, uh, the impalement. You know? Oh my god! Yeah. That's, that's just you don't see that in a Spielberg movie. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, how, t- change the texture. How about this to to compare? Is it sort of like when Abrams took over Star Wars, or is it worse than that? Well, so I didn't, I didn't mind the, the first Abrams Star Wars because I thought okay. it was kind of a nice homage, you know. And I think there were like, just in my opinion, there were enough callbacks that you can tell that he was trying to mim, you know, trying to get that Star Wars style. Um, sure. So I didn't mind that. This this it this just felt really different for me. The, yeah. the new Indiana Jones. It did like I understand why the director he has his own style and that's why he got hired for it you know but it's just sure. the um, you know I, I I thought it would have been fun if there was at least some uh, I don't know what to say some callbacks to like just the you know Spielberg style of filming it, mm. it kind of reminds me of like I don't know if you you know you're probably way too young for this back in the early 80s when Spielberg and Amblin were huge and things like that Spielberg was producing films but with other directors you know you got got like people like Richard Donner and all these other people who aren't Mm -hmm. making who normally don't make Spielberg films like Joe Dante and things like that but under Amblin they were making films that felt very much like Spielberg style yeah you know it's like yeah and so because of that it was like it there was like a certain brand awareness and so having something like James Mangle come in and not even attempt to get that feel was that to me was just kind of weird that. That's a so, great observation because okay. I just watched Poltergeist and like oh, there's yeah. a long running thing where people are like Toby Hooper, while he's the director, like Spielberg had such an influence on it. But like mm-hmm. you look at it and you say, okay, it's not John Williams doing the music, it's Jerry Goldsmith and it's Toby yeah. Hooper at the helm, but it still feels so much like a Spielberg movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I, I just, you know, the I, 
I'm one of those few people of our generation that really did not like the Goonies, and it was mainly oh no, that's it, podcast over. Finish. That is my favorite movie of all time, my friend. Why no, do you not like the Goonies? Please, we have to stop. No, 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 because I was old, yeah, because I was older, you know. So okay. like I was already like you know in high school at that point. So it wasn't my demo, you know, it wasn't my you know, my demographic. Yeah. I wasn't the right demographic. Okay. But the thing is, is that. I, the thing that threw me off about that movie was I love Richard Donner because I am probably oh. the biggest Superman the movie fan like <laughs> ever, you know. Okay, fair and enough. And so I love Richard Donner, and to me, he's like the the Howard Hawks of his generation. And so when he made the Goonies, it actually kind of pissed me off that he was mimicking Spielberg so much, you know. <laughs> so, but that just shows you that just shows you how strong that Spielberg yeah. and Amblin brand was, right? It's exactly. so true. Yeah, it's so true. Because, yeah, me in the early 80s, I was just a child, so I ate up all that shit, like yeah. E.T., like Goonies, like, you know what I mean? Oh, sure. Like, all that stuff was yep. mine. Like, yep. like Third Encounters, that came, like, after when I was, like, older and I could actually understand the brilliance of that movie. Like, but, yeah, yeah. it was just, like, even, even Indiana Jones, like, even though I was scared shitless because the first one I watched was Temple of Doom and that scene where people's <laughs> faces are melting, I started crying as a child, like, you know what I mean? But then after, again, I went back and watched them all and... <laughs> I love, like, I ate all that shit up. Like, Star Wars was probably the one where I actually watched as a child that I actually enjoyed, and I wasn't, like, scared and had to go back and appreciate. Like, that, I think, yeah. goes, sure. a, a, any generation, any age, any, like, genre, it doesn't matter. Like, as long as you're breathing, you will like Star Wars, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard not to. Right? <laughs> it appeals to so much. My goodness. Well, speaking of Star Wars, then, it will lead perfect into... Ahsoka, both of you have watched it. I have watched it. I've been dying to talk about this. Maybe our opinions are not going to be the same. Maybe they are. But, all right, let's go with Mike. What do you? What, what did you like or not right, like? I'll, I'll kick this off, and I, I'm going to kick it off the all way right. several people Please. probably do in the office and everything else across the country when this thing came out. Here we go. <laughs> I went into Ahsoka loving Andor and thinking, okay, Andor is how you do this for me and my oh. generation. Andor is is the show for me. Okay. And so the first two episodes of Ahsoka, I was just kind of like, do I even keep going? Because I'm like, eh, I know I, I watched the cartoon, the animated series, yeah. I watched all this stuff, but I, even those I didn't feel were quite for me. It's like okay. that, that was for the uh, the prequel generation, and that nothing wrong with that. Not so first. it took like my third or fourth episode of Ahsoka that I finally got into it, and it, it's a different piece. It's more, I think it's more like that animated show, and I appreciate it. But like again, I, I, I would say like I was happy with it. I, I really love Balin Skull. Is that his name? Balin Skull, uh, Ray Stevenson's character. God rest. Yes, soul. I know. He's my Ray Stevenson. Crazy. Um, he brought so much to that show that it kept. There's a reason I stuck around and then mm-hmm. appreciated it was his character right um so that, that was like i enjoyed it it was really fun to watch by the end i was like waiting to hear more and i felt it was a little short and everything which is a good sign because i wanted to see more sure. but uh but andor to me not to steer back to andor yeah, but no, andor is like at my age and the way i grew up with star wars i want star wars to kind of i realized after seeing andor that i wanted star wars to grow up with me not oh. stay where it was mm-hmm. and so i appreciate that uh, right. a bit more Makes sense. Uh, that's good. That, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I for me, it's uh, it, it brings up an interesting thing that there are just like this ongoing uh, thread of two generations of Star Wars fans, yeah. you know, working in, working in parallel. And so, like Ahsoka, I you know I stuck with it and watched the whole thing, and I enjoyed it for the most part. But it felt like um, 
I have I would have had to do a lot of homework to fully understand oh, like everything okay. about it to really get invested in it because I never really watched the the cartoon series. I think it was Rebels and uh, Clone Wars. Wars, right? Exactly. So, so I never, yeah, so I never, you know, never watched those. You know, I watched some recap videos and things like that, but I think just sure. emotion, like I didn't get as emotionally attached with the characters, or at least it took oh, me longer to, you know, okay. to get any emotional attachment. Makes sense. So I ended up watching really like kind of as if it's a standalone thing. I think mm. that's kind of tough to do, you know, tough to really, you know, watch that. So, so I think I always had the feeling of, hey, I think this is good, but I, I don't think I'm like the, I'm not the, I'm not the right person for this, sure. you know? So I ended up watching it for, for what it is. And I understand, you know, and I kind of like, you know, a lot of the technical aspects. I did like, like, you know, callbacks to, you know, to, um, to Anakin and things yes. like that. I really enjoyed but, uh, that too. But yeah. it was fun. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. But like, you know, a, a friend of mine, he was way into the car, into the cartoon series. Okay. So he loved, so he like really liked it. And he, he was just jonesing, you know, seeing, you know, live action versions of these cartoon right? characters. And so I can, I can totally understand that because it's like me geeking out on Marvel movies, you know, being a longtime comic collector, like seeing, you know, of you course. know, Marvel characters come to life, even, especially the obscure ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I geek out on them and I, my kids have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. So that's, you know, so I had one of those moments with Ahsoka. And then if you go to what Mike's talking about with uh, with Andor, you know, mm-hmm. Andor that was definitely my thing, my speed. It was just okay. kind of like, all right, this is like really, you know, the the adult extension of, right. of Star Wars. And I I almost feel I, I I feel like if Ahsoka didn't come after Andor, I think I wouldn't have been as let down. But Andor to me was such a high point. But I almost mm-hmm. feel like I almost feel like Disney Plus or or you know you know Disney themselves. Like they should almost like run those two shows concurrently, so that yeah. way you have you know one audience seeing one show Actually, and one audience seeing another show. You know, because that's like when they're one after another, you have this feeling of okay, I just watched this show, so this next show coming up, sure. Like even though it's not a follow, it's not a sequel, it's not connected. Just about the fact that they're laying these out one after the other, you're you're thinking that there's some continuation and when they're so different in tone from each other, it is, it just, it's a little off-putting. So I think that's, that's the feeling that I got out of it. I mean, if you're at Lucasfilm, like this probably feels like you've opened Pandora's box because for the longest time you had one, you know, one demographic to worry about in service and you, yeah. you, you focused on that and Andor comes along and Rogue One to some extent or something like that come along right. and they now split the fan base and it's it's now yeah. you got if you have two fan bases you have to serve it means double the work, <laughs> and, and you and you if you do one focus on one you're letting the other one down and vice versa so it's a tough yep. position to be in but I but I do think that it was inevitable because like I was mentioning earlier I think some of us wanted Star Wars to grow up with us uh, and not to grow out of it and so because mm-hmm. we, we still love Star Wars but it, it has to be something more like Andor I think for a lot of us and. Uh, and the acting, yeah. the performance, or thing—it's like this is a post Game of Thrones world or whatever, uh-huh. where it's like this kind of goes up with that <laughs> as far as the acting and the the performances go. Yeah. I, I was shocked to see such good acting in a Star Wars thing, mm-hmm. and it was it was mind blowing. Yeah. They do it perfectly, where they do so sort of wet both sides of the appetite like you know it's not so horrible where you don't want to watch because me i was the opposite of you you two gentlemen like i love andor but it took me three or four episodes to get into it to appreciate the value because i was hung on this doesn't feel like a star wars series this has like you could literally slap on any type of sci-fi and make this something different and it would work like you know what i mean but 
to me after I grasped it, but with Ahsoka, oh my god, I like I saw the Clone Wars and again, same thing, seeing all these characters come to life and just the stories and the throwbacks to 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 Anakin and you have a cameos from CP3O and you even have Howard the Duck in it. Like to me that's 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 classic stuff. Wait, Howard the Duck? What? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about Howard the Duck. I missed that completely. You didn't see Howard the Duck? He was at the scene where they were sitting at a table. I don't remember which episode it was what? on, but he was, yeah, he made a quick cameo. Let me see if I could find it here. What Man, episode? Don't, 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 yeah, yeah. Tell me which episode. I don't want to have to go through the whole, sift through the whole series. Again. I'm sure you could Google it and find it too, right? But. All right, I'll find it. Where is it? Don't get me started on Howard the Duck now. <laughs> Was yeah, it I, don't, I don't know. Like, oh, no, you know what? Never mind. No. You're, you're thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy. I am. Sorry. I'm getting my Marvel series confused oh, now. Jeez. I'm getting all my Marvel... Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm getting all my Disney shit confused. Jeez. I would have appreciated that, though, because Howard the Duck being a George Lucas film... <laughs> and, yeah. and no, it would have been yeah. like, okay. It would make I mean, sense, right? I, hey, maybe I, I discovered it's something. Not, it's funny because... I started, I started, I started like stitching the logic based off of what you just said, Mike. Oh, okay, I guess it does make sense. Like, oh, no, it doesn't. See, see, internet, and that's how rumors get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should just double down on it. Oh, oh shit! I see it now on Google. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so three. Uh, and I guarantee you, you would find someone who would Photoshop him in in a scene just to say they were the ones who found it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> here, here, here's my here's my Howard the Duck story. So that oh, was uh, I had already mo- I I moved to Michigan at that point, but I was going back to LA to see my friends you know, on a regular basis. And that summer of '86, I was I was at the Pony Hills Mall and uh, with my friends, and we were trying to debate on what movies to watch. And it was either Howard the Duck or Aliens. Oh. And, wow. and, I, and I, I remember I was the, I was the only one that wanted to see Howard the Duck. Everyone wants to see Aliens. That's like and. Yeah, you know, another kid back then I didn't read reviews, okay. and so I'm like, "No, Aliens gonna be terrible because all sequels are terrible. Oh. Like nothing can be as good as the first, a- as the first Alien." Right. So, and then it's like, "Hey, this is George Lucas is making Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck's an awesome comic book character and stuff. We got to go see Howard the Duck." So I talked everybody go into going. Yeah, exactly. So I talked everybody into going to see Howard the Duck, and I, you know, it's like you know, forty years later, I'm still, you know, talking at the end of it. But you no, know what? I did the same thing about some movie. It was an animated Different. sci-fi movie okay. from like France, and it looked like Star Wars to me. So I convinced like all my friends and everybody to go see this movie. And like we're uh, ten minutes in, and there's just like it's like a maybe like a twenty minute or not twenty minutes, probably like a four minute like shot of some alien milking something. <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> how did you make this come see? It's <laughs> like oh, it'll get better. I think I don't know. But I think yeah, I hear about that all the time. <laughs> I think we all have that sort of story where it's like hindsight, if you knew, like my, my infamous one was the two were out at the same time was No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan when I'm a huge wrestling fan. Mm. And then the original Batman with, uh, with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Guess who I, guess which movie I picked? Obviously. Yeah, I can imagine. No Holds Barred. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yep. Of course, of course. <laughs> Right, so we've all been there, so you, sh- you shouldn't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I am getting my vinyl of uh, uh, Randy Sa- Macho Man Randy Savage, oh. uh, his, his album. I'm getting a vinyl of it today in the mail. Shut up! Can't wait. Wow, that is like the most random thing I've heard today. 
<laughs> it's a random thing, but it's like I just got an update while we're talking, saying like it's arriving today. I'm like, yes. Is that the one where he raps? Yep. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they have a limited release, like color vinyl coming out now. Is out now? I guess so I should be getting it today. Oh wow. my goodness! Oh, actually, Josh, did you get to work with Macho Man on the WWF game? Was he a part of it? No, that was uh, no. It was, it was. I think it was like post Macho Man. Because I think he was kind of out at that point. Oh, uh, okay. this was like 90, 90, Uh We can't even get Hulk Hogan for some reason. There was some, really? there was some like dispute at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think he was still with WWF at the time. Right, but uh, for some reason, like there was that period of time, he was he was like out. So we had we had everybody else. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I think that roster, at the, now you look back on it, I don't know if you still keep up with wrestling or if you're a fan, but pretty much everyone that was in that game is now currently in the Hall of Fame. So you got to literally work with legends of the wrestling industry. Like, in hindsight, w- would you have thought, moving forward, that these people would end up in the oh, Hall of yeah. Fame? I mean, some of them, yeah, for sure, you know, but it was like, I, I you know, I... I, I was only into wrestling when I was working on wrestling games. Oh, you know? okay. And because it, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I still like watch it once in a while, but it, it's sure, like, sure. but when I was in it, I, I was like deep into it. It was it got ridiculous because it was my life for like two years, you know, for each game. But uh, but I remember like back even back then, like Undertaker was already getting pretty big, and I, and you know, and sure. uh, and I think everyone knew that he was going to be you know a legend, you know, from there. Um, and obviously Bret Hart. You know, yeah. Bret Hart was already Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were already big. You know, of during course. That period. Right, so Bret we were, Hart's we're, video he did for you guys the, for the making of WrestleMania is legendary. Oh, right. So good. So so he like he was like seriously the night besides just being a really nice guy, super professional, but he was really entranced by the whole concept of uh, video game production. Really, like he really was like. Yeah, like after the shoot, and he would come by when he was in town. So he would come by the Midway Studios and such, okay. and he would like he would hang out and like just you know just ask questions all the time because he he was into um, into drawing, and so mm. he he would like I remember he would ask us like, oh you know, what you know what should I learn like do I, you know how do I do character designs and this and that he was trying you know learning Photoshop which was relatively you know new at the time. Mm-hmm. But he's even using D paint in that video. Like that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah, exactly. We were, we were teaching how to use D paint stuff, <laughs> and so he was like really great guy. But he was genuinely curious about that. And yeah, you know, I, I wonder, oh, like awesome. even back then, you know, he was thinking about what am I going to do once I retire, you know, retire yeah. from wrestling and such. Um, so yeah, and him, him and Sal Devito like became like really good friends. You know? Oh, so that's anyway, cool. You know, they would visit. Yeah, they would visit each other and such. So that was that was pretty amazing. Now, did anyone come in there with like that? Not ego, but stayed in character the whole uh, time. <laughs> nah, nobody stayed in character. I mean, I think the only person that like we had any issues with, and it really wasn't. I mean, nobody was like a total jerk, but you know, some some were more you know gracious than others. But like like Lex Luger, I think you know he out of everybody, he was the most regimented. You know, I'm the guy at the time. He was just like a he looked like a superhero. He looked like right. Superman. He was just so cut and everything. But um. But everyone was really good. I mean, they, they were That's all cool. just like normal people. And, you know, I found out recently that like, I, I posted up a video, uh, behind the scenes video with Yokozuna. Oh, nice. And like some people, some people commented that they were kind of shocked that they had never heard Yokozuna's real voice before. Really? And it, and it didn't dawn on me. Yeah, and it didn't dawn on me. It's like, oh yeah, because it's like these, you know, 
decent character as a sumo wrestler, so he has a very just you know specific pub- good public point. Voice. But on this video, I put on this video, I put he's just like a dude, like a big dude that's just talking normal. <laughs> it, was just, it was weird. Well, yeah, it's so that funny was, though. That was like my first game. Yeah, because that's so cool to hear. Because yeah, because back in the day, those wrestlers that actually had that gimmick from like some like to me, the the two that blew my mind when I heard them speak normally was George the Animal Steel and Kamala. Like I thought that's who they were all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool to hear. <laughs> well, speaking of making video games and all that, Mike, we got to turn and talk about you, my friend. I know sometimes you don't like to spotlight. But your studio, you're up for nomination. I believe it's the Golden Joystick Awards, the 41st annual Golden Joystick Awards for Studio of the Year. And you're up with giants like Nintendo and so on. Like, my friend, congratulations. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know where these upstarts like Nintendo think they have a chance against us. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, actually, it's really humbling because, like, we had no idea. I don't even know how that happened. We didn't campaign for it. It's oh, like, shit. usually for people like us, we sit there and we just like make every call, like, put us in here just, you know, as a favor. But no, this was, uh, this came out of the blue. And, uh, it's, it's in the UK, the, the award show, and like, we're invited out, but we're like, <laughs> it's a little, we're like, what do we even have a chance? Should we show up? Like, come on. <laughs> but it, it's awesome. It's great. And we've been, yeah, we've been yeah. pretty busy. <laughs> I know. Well, again, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Like, and not only just directly, indirectly too, because you have so many like cooperations with other studios and stuff that you came out with. Like, obviously, you got the Kawabunga collection, you got the Atari collection, Karataka, like Wizardry too, that just recently came out. Like, you guys just keep, and that came out of literally nowhere. I don't think you guys really promoted Wizardry, right? No, one day we just put a little tease up that said soon. Everybody's like, wait, I recognize that logo. Could that be Wizardry? And then the next morning it's like, it's Wizardry! <laughs> so we that's threw awesome. that out there too, which was, that's that goes down as one of the hardest licensing um, games. There's so many people involved in that. There's like Dracom okay. in Japan, there's the Steertech Brothers, like that. So what was interesting about that one is I don't think anybody could see that one coming because it was just mm. in, like institutional knowledge that you just can't do anything with Wizardry. But, uh, mm. but that, that was... There's a lot of work in trying to get everybody to, to kind of work together on that one. And uh, it's in early access. Uh, but if you've grown up with Wizardry, the beauty about this one is it's all remade in Unreal. And it's a little bit more, oh, nice. it's got a quality of life fixes. And um, it's you can play through the whole game right now, even though it's in an unfinished state. But it's fully playable. So um, if you're ever curious about Wizardry, that's this is the way to play it. Oh no! That sounds and obviously Karataka. Like this thing's getting like perfect scores everywhere. Like wherever you see, if it's not a perfect <laughs> score, it's like a minus point five off the top. Like you know what I mean? Like, and it, again, it shows because uh, the best thing about your studio is not only the quality of life features because that's fantastic for people, I guess, from mine and your generation, right? But the love and the labor and the interviews and the backstory and the history, it becomes sort of like, like I just said, like a history book of, of some sort that could live like forever within the video game universe. I mean, it, Josh is no stranger to this too. It's like, I know that the reason for insert coin is that there's all these incredible stories and context around these games that, uh, you know, games, I, I always, I've always thought of games as an art form, even when I was a kid, but like, I just don't feel like the game industry itself takes itself serious enough mm. to document all these things. And now that we're becoming yeah. more of a mature industry, a lot of people are getting older, and we, we're at risk of losing these stories right. and losing all this context. And it, it feels like a race against time to try to capture all this. And 
what better way to kick off what we call the Gold Master Series than with Karataka because Jordan had kept such an incredible amount of information through these journals since he was a teenager uh, during the production of Karataka and his whole career uh, beyond that. And uh, it, it gave us an opportunity to go and have have some insight into his his the beginning of his career in a way that we just wouldn't have with almost anything else. It's, he was really regimented about documenting everything, keeping everything. Mm. So what we're able to do is present in-progress builds of Karataka, in progress, or even in the projects that came before Karataka games that didn't ship, uh, the game that, that failed that led to him doing Karataka. All this stuff oh, is wow. available to us, and we're able to put that in there. And, and, and kind of like, I guess what we've kind of landed on is like, we've learned as we put these together that the best way to tell a story about a game is interactively. So you, it's, it's one thing to get like the linear video and you know the artifacts and stuff to look at, but if you can just like line it up correctly with interactive playables and package all that together, uh, it could be a lot like an interactive museum exhibition right. or that sort of thing. So it's it gives you more hands-on experience with with the process and the the story. And and this story is an incredible one because at its heart is the story of a loving father encouraging his son to pursue his dreams and his passion, wow. regardless of what it does for his school, like his grades and everything else, sure. because he recognized that his son had talent and he was willing to sacrifice even himself, uh, make some sacrifices to make sure his talent got realized, which is an amazing thing to, to see in this. No, that's definitely for sure. Well, okay, how about this? How many hours of video footage is there on Karataka? I think there's like, I could have this completely wrong, but I think there's like an hour and a half. Okay, so that's um, decent. Okay, that's good. So Perfect. Which has got quite a bit, and there's there's plenty more left on the cutting room floor. Um, but for these sorts of things, it's a different kind of um, consumption model is one way to put it, I guess. Sure. In that, like, everything needs to be really broken up into small pieces so you can traverse it the way you want to uh, traverse it. So it's so interactive in that, like, you want, if you want to jump around and experience things at your own pace like you would in a museum, mm. you can do that. And the story still has to remain kind of cohesive and lead to some of these moments that we want you to have. So it's a lot of work going into trying to get our heads around how you present this in a way that um, that ultimately is, is very new for us, at least. It was very new for us, uh, but also in a way that that, that is uh, there's no friction for you to kind of go at your pace and learn at your own pace. No, that's definitely cool. Yeah, okay. I can't, I can't okay. imagine... Yeah, I can't imagine how you all organize that. I mean, it was seriously like, like I know. Like, yeah, doing a tradition, doing a traditional documentary is tough, but like the way you guys did the you know the interactiveness of it and the timelines and just yeah, making sure you know just all the branching and everything. Right. I like I remember when when y'all were first talking about this whole concept. I, I just like. In my, I you know, I, I had to take a step back and think like that's a shit ton of work. That's a, <laughs> it really is. It's so hard. I, I think uh, along the way we've had moments of regret where it's like, why did we oh, do no. this? <laughs> because it's yeah. you'll have dead ends and you'll have things where it's like you you, you feel like yeah. the story's not going to be as powerful in some way. So you have to like really think about the the flow and the format and go yeah. back and change things constantly up until like the day of ship. We just shipped a game here in this vein uh, yesterday. And things were changing literally in the morning because it was like, oh, wait, this oh, has to get. Shit. And it's not it's not like a bug. It's like, oh, wait, this is like now we've got everything in here. This has to flow a little yeah. bit different. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge, but we're getting better at it. And hopefully we can do a lot of these and, and it just streamlines as we go. Well, how about this yeah. for both of no, you guys? Not... Since both of you have made video games and either docs or video footage, what's harder, making a video game or putting together footage and editing it 
Josh, I mean, Dollar, yeah. speaking, speaking, for, speaking for myself, I, think, I, I will always say that it, video games are the hardest entertainment medium to to produce, to create. Fair like I, I, just based off my experience, I don't think anything come cl- comes close to it. Okay. Not that other things are easy by any sure. means, but there is really just something really unique about video game production because it it's like equal parts technology, content, and design and a lot of other mediums they don't have that you know that equal makeup that video games have so like you know when i made you know my documentary like it was it was difficult but it's it was like i kind of the the roadmap is much easier to figure out on Mm. how to on how to get it done it's much more linear in nature i guess yeah i always think about like when you see or when you're working on a film for instance there's like the set usually just has built what's necessary for that shot. But in games, players have a lot more, like, freedom. <laughs> and oh, so okay. what happens in game development is, like, you, you can never account from the beginning what a, what a person will do in your game. And so you're, you half the work is building the vision you have. The other half of the work is trying to support it after everybody finds all the problems with that vision <laughs> and, like, and fix it. <laughs> and so there's this, like... There's so much extra work that you just don't want to do, but you have to do when you're putting a game together. And and then the dynamics of the team, and the dy- dynamics of the technology, and the fusion of things, all that stuff. There's so much that can just break down at any moment. That's true. Um, it, it, you know, there's unless you're repeating something or you're you're like a one genre studio or whatever. Um, the challenges always come up where it's like, you know, one game you're working on, it's like a fighting game. Next game you're working on is a driving game and sure. that sort of thing. It's like kind of the early days of uh, Midway and Williams and stuff and such, where it's like you're not a one genre studio and that, that introduces a whole other layer of complexity that comes along for the ride. Yeah. So games are so hard, but the, but there's a different kind of difficulty with film and uh, documentaries uh, and, 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 and dramas and, and whatnot, where they bring a whole host of things where, Yes, there's a whole team of people, but really it's on a smaller amount of people to make sure that vision stays strong all the way through it. And where games, I feel you can kind of feel your way out. The, the auteur is almost more important for film and television than it is for, for games. Games had auteurs mm. early on, but that's mainly because sometimes it was just one person making a game or like four or whatever. Uh, but now you, you have to like you have to have this like creative super system of so many people. Uh, they have to come together and share a vision and support each other in that vision. That while it's super hard and that's a whole challenge in and of itself, on the on the film and television side, that that auteur uh, challenge is, is there, uh, and it's a very different kind of challenge. No, good point and well said, my friend. Okay, now for both of you, I want to do something here. Obviously, you both have played each other's games that you've worked on over the years. So, Josh, what's your favorite game that Mike has worked on? And Mike, what's your favorite game that Josh has worked on? Okay, Josh, you get like oh, three thought... seconds to look up Moby Games and see what I. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 man. Yeah, way too much. Just like, I, I will say the the very like I will say Atari Fifty is was amazing. Okay, you know, oh, that's awesome. that was like the yeah. I mean, it was just the just you know it like just seeing what you know the format that you guys did it and everything, and you know obviously I know the games but being able to go in and look at the history and seeing this interactive documentary format that you guys are now you know, doing in Karateka and you know, another mm. project. It, I think for me, um, that's an easy win because I also remember when you guys did Midway's Greatest Hits back in the day and seeing yeah. the evolution of what you guys did back then right. till now. It's just, it's, it's astounding. And it's really, it's a, 
you know, it's a testament to not only you guys involving, but also just the way technology is involved. Like you can do, you know, Atari 50 and Karateka, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, that you're doing now back then. But you, but I remember you guys were super ambitious. You can put those Midway Greatest Hits stuff. You know, those had documentaries and, you know, videos and stuff like that. So, uh, so that to me, there's like this, you know, you know, uh, talking about what we talked about earlier, which is, I think I've known Mike in weird, inadvertent ways for decades now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Josh's games is always going to be WrestleMania. um, Nice. Because that, that to me, like, yeah, NBA Jam, all those games, whatever. But like, I was, I don't watch wrestling now, but back then I I was like hardcore into it. And when that game came out, that was like the best of all worlds. The best of what Midway was known for with, with, with the kind of games they made. And it was the best of WrestleMania. And I, can't, I don't think there's been many other games since that captured kind of the magic of that era of wrestling. And uh, that, that I probably put more money into that game <laughs> than almost any other game at the time. I mean, I, I had a weird eclectic choice in games, though. So maybe my taste isn't very good, but like that game was fantastic. And it would only be rivaled by Gauntlet for me oh, for the amount of money I put into yeah. an arcade machine. So it was mm. like that that machine and Gauntlet were like big ones for me. But uh, like when, whenever, um, whenever I think about Josh, I, I, I try not to – and whenever I'm around Josh, I try not to geek out about that game. But like I, the, the technology required to put that game together at the time – and in hindsight, it seems like you, you don't think about it. But again, to put context around this, it's a really challenging – thing to get performances out of live actors and make that flow and feel right in a game mm. and it, it's it's more challenging than anybody knows it, it's 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 a, a ridiculous amount of work and it's a ridiculous amount of planning but then also in the post cleanup and just in, in the way you have to code that game make it flow right it's it's a perfect storm of things that kind of come together and it can go so wrong <laughs> so easily and yet that that game worked out <laughs> nba jam worked out right and all stuff and it's just like it's a miracle um, and, and then, of course, Mortal Kombat, of course, and things like that. That all these games perfected that so early on, when everybody else who tried to do the same thing failed at it so miserably because there's just so much nuance to that process. Even today, if somebody tries to go back and do that, I don't think they would have the kind of learnings that that, that benefited the team by the time you guys got to WrestleMania. Mm. That they, they, they they can look at something and say, "Yeah, we can do that," but the reality is they can't. And that, that game is just to me. I, I love that game. It, it's it's not overly complex. It's easy to jump into. That's true and too. It's just, it does one of the best things. It makes you laugh and have a great time <laughs> when you're playing with your friends. And it wasn't lost on the design. Like it's it's really about being an incredible party game. That it's like it feels like you're kind of coming together just to have a really good time with your friends. Yeah. No. No. Thanks. Yeah. That's that. It, I think the the. I'm always amazed when I look at that game how much of the team's humor comes through yeah. that, you know and it's like you know if you look at the the, the sprites you know compared to you know the resolution of, of video games now i mean it's like those sprites you know were like 128 colors and they're like you know you're lucky if they were like you know 128 pixels by 80 or something like Jeez. that so trying to even get their expressions to come through at such a low res Good point. you know it was just like it was a lot of thought was put in i, I really put that you know put that all on on south Vita. He was like, you know, this was my first job in games, and Sal had just come off of NBA Jam, and he just, you know, you know, worked, you know, he worked super hard. He worked all of us super hard to make sure that, you know, that the fun was in there and the humor was in there, just ridiculous. And the level of freedom we had, I don't think the WWE would ever allow that ever again. Right? You know, it's like. I no, mean, probably not. So but if you like, think about it, yeah. like the fusion of your humor, like the studio's humor, 
with uh, WWF at the time or whatever, um, yeah. and, and how that kind of came together. And in my mind, after that, that humor followed along whenever you watch wrestling and vice versa. It felt like it was the perfect fusion, even though they're very different kind of approaches that yeah. once it kind of came together, it was like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Chocolate <laughs> and peanut butter together. That game, the, the humor in it was fantastic. And it elevated it to where it's like, you know, WWF, there's some level of it taking itself seriously for, for kind of what it is, and then there's some level of humor yeah. to it. The game just, like, emphasized the humor. And that was part of the, the charm of all of that. And uh, and again, like I was saying, the learnings that came from NBA Jam to, to uh, WrestleMania, mm. um, it was very clear. And, and you can see how it even progressed further. Uh, because to go from that, like, Here's the head swapping on the same body kind of thing too. Now here's all these unique types of characters, and how do we get them to like interact with each other in the way that they do? It's and that's great. that's why I loved Midway back in the day was the humor. Like you see it through everything they touched their hands. Like Mortal Kombat's supposed to be fatalities, death, but the humor is in it. Like you know what I mean? NBA Jam having just Tim Kitzrow being the announcer that's humorous in its own right. Like you know what I mean? All his lines. And and like you said, in obviously the WrestleMania game, it's you saw it come through, and th- I think that's what made mid and especially back then in that I guess like '90s where everything was like sort of everyone was starting to swear more, everything was sort of edgy. You know what I mean? So you wanted that dark humor, and if it wasn't for that, I don't think it would have been as successful. No, and like I think there's a certain brand of Midwest humor that Midway had that that's was kind true of like. Too. It, it's, a, it's hard to articulate, but it's it's kind of it's a humor that makes it feel like when you're when you're on the other end of that humor, you feel like you're in on the joke with the creators and not necessarily just consuming the jokes and everything like that. You feel like you're in on it with them, and it's a really unique brand. It's like Narc <laughs> had that, Smash TV had that, right? World Combat. Yeah, it's just like it's it's a different kind of uh, humor that I've always kind of expresses a very Midwest style humor. Yeah, yeah. No, well, speaking of Mortal Kombat, have you gentlemen played Mortal Kombat 1, I guess it's called now? They went back? Not yet. I, I want to play it, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't yet either. Oh, you guys haven't. There's yeah. too many games this year. That's the problem. You know what? Like, too many games. Well, <laughs> well, I think it's from COVID when everyone was locked down. You're seeing all these games that got delayed all coming out now, and it's just like, like you could literally go every month. There's four or five games that could be easily game of the year. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a it's a blessing and a curse because you're seeing all these studios mm. getting shut down. You saw stuff right. going on right now, but it's because, I, honestly, it feels like 1983 all over again. There's just too many games in the marketplace, <laughs> and it's hard. Yeah. They, you're right. They all got kind of pushed, and all the, all the pandemic games that couldn't get done during the pandemic, they've all decided to come out in 2023. Yep. And while the game industry sales are all up, you're seeing studios and jobs and all these things come, hit the market. And it's it's kind of a double edged sword. So uh, you know, a feel for our, our, our brethren and sisters out there in the game industry because it's, it's a really challenging time with such great games. It's like we should be really happy in the game development community right? about how great games are right now. They're all so good, but at the same time, it's like there's only so much pie you can slice up <laughs> and give everybody. Well, that's the thing because all the three big ones, obviously Nintendo, Sony, and and uh, Microsoft are all like benefiting they all have subscriptions they're all doing like Nintendo's record sales like PS5 still selling out like all, all these things and it's like but you still see like the backside like you said because there's just too many video games how can everybody get to this and in my opinion I think people are pretty much choosing one game to play a month at this point so how can you yeah. get through them all right you're going to spend at least $70 on a game so that's limiting you to a game a month at 
minimum. Like, I mean, at most, or whatever. I'm getting all wrong there. But like, who's got that kind of money? If you say like I'm buying one game a month, right? And you're spending like seven hundred dollars or more for that. That's like that's pretty significant, especially with the economy the way it is right now. So it's a it's a perfect storm of problems. Like the economy, uh, too many games, incredible games. So it's hard for any game that's not like a tentpole to get a lot of attention right now. We consider that like. Nintendo, Sony, like Spider-Man 2, you've got, like, I mean, you are just mentioning Mortal Kombat 1, but, like, Starfield and all these games. Oh, my goodness. All in the scene. Baldur's era. Gate, all another huge scene. one. Baldur's Gate 3, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> the, the quality is incredible. And, like, we have too much to pick from, and the it, something has to give. No, it's so true. Okay, how about this to, to end it off before I let you guys go? What has been the most recent game that you've played, New World, that you've enjoyed? Go ahead, Josh. Oh man, I am so I'm so far behind it. Like I'm, so I started. I, I finally got straight on Steam, and oh, so I started okay. playing that. Loved it. But it's it, it just it's yeah, and so I loved it so far. But like that was like two weeks ago. I played it for a few days, and then you know life got busy, so I need to get back to it. So my my gameplay is uh, my gameplay habits are horrendously erratic. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like That's honestly, right. the one I played and just beaten was Night Dive's reissue of Quake Two. Oh shit! Uh, okay. Because I love. Oh, Quake I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. That. It's so good. And like, I get up pretty early in the morning before everybody else in the family wakes up. I was just putting Quake <laughs> Two on, and I'm just like, I'm just trying to chip away a level a day, and uh, and got through it just yesterday. I finished it up and went to the the credit roll on it. But uh, I love Quake. I love Quake 2 particularly. Yeah. And it's a great port. And it plays great on Xbox where I'm playing oh. it. Uh, I recommend that one. Because it's it's one of those things where I, I feel like a lot of modern games have kind of sacrificed twitchy, visceral gaming for more of like, um, you know, like stack growth and that sort of thing. Or slower pace for online reasons. And Quake 2 just feels so punchy and fast and ridiculously yeah. hard at times that uh it's the kind of punishment i'm looking for <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well gentlemen thank you very much for coming aboard today it's been an honor a privilege and obviously lots of fun mike promote what you need to promote josh you're up next so start thinking go for it floors all yours my friends all right well real quick go check out the making of karataka it's the first of our gold master series an interactive documentary about the creation of karataka and sets the the groundwork for a whole new series of games that focuses on interactive documentaries about pivotal games people and companies in the game industry and we also have on early access and it's on sale uh even when this should broadcast i think it's still gonna be on sale for the halloween sale on steam uh so it's wizardry early access it's a remake of the original wizardry game uh, rebuilt from the ground up in Unreal, but also allows you to play with the exact rules of the original game and a whole bunch more features and quality of life features. So if you're a Wizardry fan or just curious about Wizardry, it's one of the first major RPGs, a huge influence on games like Dragon Quest and uh, Final Fantasy. So you can see the origins of the RPG genre, especially the Japanese RPG genre, uh, on display here. And we'll be having an announcement soon. And probably keep, uh, keep your eyes on our website, digitalclips.com. We have another game that we're going to be announcing very shortly in the next couple of weeks. Um, and we also have, uh, nice. for, for Halloween as well, uh, which I know this is going to be after Halloween, but we have <laughs> Candy Creeps, which is a little small arcade game that we put up. It's up on Steam. It came out last Halloween on Itch.io. Now it's on Steam. Uh, it's a great way to celebrate the holiday with a, with a friend and smash pumpkins, eat candy, that sort of thing. So 
that's out there right now. Um, and then, of course, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Go check that out. It came out uh, last year in Atari 50th anniversary celebration. Um, some titles have been doing really great for us in the last year. Uh, continue to do so. So uh, please uh, give us all your support. If you like our games, uh, buy the rest of them as they come out. Thank you. Awesome. And Josh. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, uh, things got frozen for a second. But, yeah, so, I mean, uh, Dio, uh, I, I, I'll always, uh, you know, talk about Insert Coin, the, um, the you know, feature-length documentary that I produced and directed. Uh, it's now out on uh, Tubi and YouTube uh, for free, uh, with ads, obviously. But, you know, you guys still get to watch for free. So that came awesome. out uh, pretty recently. Otherwise, if you don't like ads, it's on all the uh, VOD platforms, such as uh, Voodoo, uh, Apple TV, Amazon, and a bunch of whole bunch of other ones. You go to insertcoindoc.com. That's uh, all the links out there. And then there's also you know there's a YouTube channel for Insert Coin that has a ton of previously unreleased footage that didn't make it into the movie itself. Nice. Um, I didn't know what to do with all this archival footage, so I was <laughs> like, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there, and I, people are freaking out about them. So a lot of stuff out there. Uh, WrestleMania to Mortal Kombat to NBA Jam and everything, and um, so hopefully people you know, enjoy that. Awesome! And for myself, you can follow the podcast on X at the podcast app, or you can follow myself on X, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, whatever. It's all the same. Just look up Finger Styles. You'll find me all on all the major platforms. But most importantly, please rewind to the top of the show. Support to find sponsors because if it helps them, it most definitely helps me out. And also, you could email the podcast anything that's on your mind, thoughts, suggestions, comments at the podcast app at gmail.com and obviously rate subscribe review on all the major platforms all right one last question before i let you guys go josh if you if one of your former games again in a perfect world there's no limitations on license or ip if you could give mike one of your games to remake which one would get the digital eclipse treatment Oh, WrestleMania! Oh, I mean, yeah. that's like a no-brainer. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I, I would, I, I would love to see like a just a, a realistic take on WrestleMania, but just keep all the same frames and everything. You know, just <laughs> exactly. all the same craziness. <laughs> you totally do that. I think you you do that, and then you try to find anything that may have been on the cutting room floor, and include a lot of stuff that yeah. Josh Hart has. Uh, that he's collected when he when he did uh, a coin, as well as like some new interviews. I think if you contextualize this and get some of the wrestlers back. Uh, who are still with oh us to, to like talk about it? It would be an amazing, mm. amazing package for people. Yeah. And it, it's the again, it's the it's the combination of two worlds. Like the the context around this would be amazing. Uh, wrestling fans and game fans. Right. And there's no better combination than to see that fandom come together and to celebrate that game with a, a remaster would be incredible. It's a it's a, on the on the level of like wizardry on like licensing challenges. Of course. But like, <laughs> so worth it. So worth it. No, most well, we put it out there, so hopefully it does happen now. <laughs> you never know, as they say. You never know. Well, on that note, he's Mike, he's Josh, I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.